Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome in. It is another Monday morning, means another edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, T-Bob Hebert, also host a radio show off the bench on ESPN in Baton Rouge, and I am joined uh, by the Athletics' Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, dude? Oh, you know, man, just hanging in there at another uh, dystopian LSU season. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We will uh, pick up the pieces uh, from this weekend. As to nobody's surprise, Alabama absolutely shatters LSU in Death Valley. Um, And remember, the Hold That Podcast podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. And you probably just heard right before the show, but there's some great deals by theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Take advantage of it. I think it's the best uh sports writing site and that's and there's no ads which is like incredible and you probably don't even realize how badly you want that until you actually get that uh now uh we're recording this monday morning coach o just finished up his press conference bro a uh what did you think brody a a kind of is morose the right word subdued uh there was a little like edge of sadness in coach o's voice and a little resignation i felt No, I think that's a good way to put it. I think, well, I think one, sometimes it just comes from the tone of, hey, we are only asking negative questions at this point for. Oh, absolutely. No, that that is like a huge source of it. It sucks. I've been in a bad season and you get so beat down by answering the same. Like I was on a season where we were a bad O-line and it was like every week, like I had to answer why we suck so bad. It was terrible. (laughs) I know. By the way, I want to like at the end of the season, like write like a a thank you letter to like the three LSU players they give us every week, which is primarily Liam Shanahan, (laughs) Jabril Cox, and and it used to be Terrace Marshall. It's not even him anymore. So I want to write them like a thank you letter because I feel so bad that like we're not even requesting them every week because of this. And like, we still get them every single week because they're the guys they trust and like know how to not get emotional and all that stuff. So we're just asking them the same questions. And half the time it's about stuff that doesn't even apply to them, but they're the only like offensive and defensive players we get. So it's just like, Hey, Jabril, you know, talk about, you know, flock getting beat there. And it's like, I feel so bad. He's just like, like, Liam, tell us about every week. We ask him what the locker rooms like, it's like, well, what else can he say? It's sad. So anyway, yeah, get to your point. Um, 
yeah, no, it, there was a genuine just kind of morose is a good word. I don't want, cause I don't want to get too dramatic with it. It wasn't like defeatist or anything, but it was just like, Hey man, times are tough. It doesn't, I mean, you know, at least the last few weeks they could point to a few things getting better, like the defense and, and, you know, Hey, the freshman quarterback look good or whatever. Now it's just, I think every week that goes by, it's just like, Hey, this is what it is. This week's not going to be any different against Florida. And you know, you, you don't, you know, your only thing you have to look forward to is a recruiting class. And even that, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess. So, yeah, it's not great. But, uh, I mean, I got to say, and I, I know this isn't what we're getting to yet, but I didn't come away from that Bama game, actually. I want to be clear. They got demolished. Like, it was bad. But none of it was surprising to me. Am I naive here? No. Like, no, no, everything no, no, that, no, no. that happened was supposed to happen. And if anything, I came away surprisingly impressed with the offense. Uh, Yeah, yeah, which is kind of odd. But, I mean, it's where you're at or and if you're looking for positives i mean it was if you're an lsu fan if like if you just want to take a positive from this game i would say the most positive is that you had an offense that featured some really nice play from an 18 year old quarterback in tj finley and max johnson either one interchangeable uh an 18 year old wide receiver in Keyshawn butte who i'm guessing we're going to talk about a lot 18-year-old tight end, you know, and, and Eric Gilbert. Uh, and then if you look at the two running backs in John Emery and TDP, they, they, they had some nice moments. And those are guys who obviously are young and will also be back next year. Like So, like, you are taking lumps in the short term to be very good offensively in the long term if you can figure out the O-line. So, we'll, we'll I think we'll expound on those points a bit more. Um, I want to start here though, before we focus on the offensive defense, I just want to start with some general thoughts. Uh, yeah, please. I, I think normally coming into this game, there's always this idea that if nothing else, that LSU is, you know, looks like Alabama, like physically that they will be similar, that they will have similar amounts of NFL prospects, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, you flip on the film and it is woefully clear that uh, Bama is vastly physically superior. Like from a physical stature difference, it looked pretty significant to me. You can see the youth on LSU and it it just felt like it felt like a really good high school team running into just like an average high school team, like one with a bunch of D1 yeah. players. And, and that's just kind of how it looked on the field in terms of body to body. No, I, I think it's a beautiful, I think, Honestly, I love that you said that because my actual thought when I was rewatching it is it felt like how do I'm trying to give a good te- like example like uh like Louisiana Tech playing out no not even like uh like UL no it's not even a good one anymore like you can't do UL now because UL might beat us yeah yeah, this year. yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah like a like a like a solid mid major like a two lane yes. playing at yeah. LSU and you're like oh they made some nice plays you know like that's how you have to view LSU in this game it was like oh they did some good things that was intriguing you know I bet they could beat their conference play this year that's how I felt watching that game and then you realized LSU who is supposed to be on the same tier as Alabama it is jarring and of course there's some extra context that goes with that right yes LSU because LSU was playing honestly at both sides of the field at different points five freshmen you know like so you know to some extent you're like Okay, obviously LSU's true freshmen aren't going to look as good as Alabama's juniors and seniors. That's a given. So sure, a little slight benefit of the doubt there. But no, that's not really what happened. It was just guys who the veterans were the ones getting beat up too. If anything, the young players were the more promising ones. So yeah, this was this was troubling, and this is 
it, it's one i mean it was almost like my saturday post game story was pretty bleak but the thing i kept like repeating in there is like but what can you say about it because granted we're going to do a podcast where we try to say a lot about it but <laughs> what can you say because they were a 30 point dog the season has already been a train wreck and we kind of like everything that happened went to plan and like oh yeah out like lsu just is this much worse and and it's just a weird place to be at and i I, I, I don't know where you go other than just say, like, hey, I think they're going to be ha- pretty good next year, I guess, but we'll see. One thing that really – yeah, and exactly, but now they won't – I mean, we, we definitely won't be giving them the benefit of the doubt in the same way that we were this nope. offseason. Um, one, t- one thing that jumped out to me immediately as well and carried through the entire night and drove home what we were just talking about, did you notice – and you see this when one team's just physically superior, Bama always fell forward. They were never or rarely knocked back. Like You were even meeting guys at the line sometimes. Maybe you're meeting them two yards downfield, and then they're falling forward. And then there's also like a bunch of extreme examples that pop up on the film. I watched Devontae Smith drive Damone Clark back 10 yards on a long Najee Harris run. I sent you that video. It was terrible. Uh, I watched Jabril Cox get carried by Brian Robinson, the backup running back, for like six yards. (laughs) Like literally carried. Like legs off of the ground, dragged through the air. Uh, so I mean, yeah, you're, you're talking thirty points, thirty point spread, and it's it was physically obvious why, which was a bit interesting. So where it gets so bad with LSU, Brody, is you compare that physical difference, and or you 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 take into account the physical difference, and then you throw in like bad coaching, and the the defense just doesn't stand a chance. Right now, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I thought that LSU's defense looked so hopelessly out-schemed, and it's because they've had to revert, you know, in an effort to stop the amaze. They have gone super, super simple, super base man system, but I, I find that that makes them so incredibly uh, open to manipulation, right? You're, you From yeah. Alabama and Sark, you see a lot of the same pre-snap movement that you see when you watch like Drinkwitz or or I always think of like the Chiefs with this. So I feel like nobody does it better than like Biennemi and Reed where they have these fast weapons and they're going to show you so many different directions that you're like a dog with too many tennis balls. You never actually know where the ball is going. And it is very effective against this LSU team and scheme. I mean, guys were frozen when the ball was yep. snapped. And then, and it wasn't just, that was just a pre-snap crisscrossing. Then once the ball is snapped, Bama just absolutely played LSU's man scheme by constantly getting cornerbacks to rub each other. I mean, Alabama, the, the, the coaches must have been laughing to themselves when they realized <laughs> that, oh, if we put Devontae Smith in the slot, they're just going to like keep flot on him. Like they're not, they're not going right. to actually shadow Stingley, even though they don't do anything complicated anyway. Okay, sure. Well, we'll start him in the slot and then we'll just run him outside. That's great. And, and it worked twice. It's just, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is at this point. But this LSU defense, uh, never stood a chant. This was like chumming the water for a shark. <laughs> I, and there's almost something to point out, which was like, 
Alabama, the first, I believe, three drives of the game pretty much actually just went super conservative. They just pretty much like pounded the ball to Najee Harris on the outside, which that's in all, and you know, did some, you know, short passes to the flat and just got guys in open field. But they played really traditional and conservative that first, you know, quarter, quarter and a half. And, and by the way, they still would have won the game 55 17 just by doing that. They scored three touchdowns on those drives and they kept, you know, tossing it out to Harris on the outside, stuff like that, which took advantage, I think, of how LSU's linebackers really just like find themselves flat-footed in those situations and that's what you saw on that play you're talking about Devontae Smith drove Damone Clark it's kind of what we saw on the first I mean uh the first Harris touchdown where where Clark also got driven that 10 yards back. Look I will say this dude uh going against Alex Leatherwood trying to fight him at a dead stop with dead feet trying to catch that is never going to end well for you it is a recipe for disaster and sure enough on that first Harris touchdown Damone Clark got driven about 15 yards and then just like tossed at the end absolutely and it, it highlights a lot of things about how they're just, it's so easy to out leverage LSU on some of these run plays. It's been the case all season if you just know what you're doing. But then it was even funnier because not funny, but you're down 21 nothing or 21 7. You know, they're doing it. And then they're like, all right, we've 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 set you up with this run game. All right, we're going to start attacking. And that's when Alabama finally started, you know, taking deep shots to Devontae Smith. Like you said, took advantage of, you know, those crossing routes, get um, Flot and Stingley r- running into each other. And that's why you saw two 60-yard plays. And honestly, I, keep, I think the most embarrassing play of the entire day, other than maybe those two Clark plays we mentioned where he gets driven back, the most embarrassing was that third down where, you know, Devontae Smith catches like what would have been like a 10-yard ball, right? And then he just like changes direction, crosses across the field and goes for 50 yards, just embarrassing this defense. And I think that was honestly the worst look of the whole day. Mm, So, yeah, I I think it was like Alabama could have won this game just by going super simple. Then they flex because they could and started going downfield because they lured them into, you know, focusing on that a little bit more. And, yeah, it was just the whatever they could do. But, again, I go back to the what can you say because guess what? Missouri and Mississippi State and – and yeah. Arkansas, even yeah. all these teams have done this on yeah. LSU and been outsmarting them, putting them in these situations. So <laughs> what did you expect when you have the Heisman front runner quarterback, the number one receiver and the best running back in football? Non-Newtonian fluids, Brody. We talked about it last week. I thought for sure my non-Newtonian theory was going to come into play. Uh, I like that theory. No. I did, but. No, yeah. no. It turns out they just uh, kind of shattered. Mac Jones started 11 of 11 for 240 and three TDs. No pressure on him, man. And that was actually one of the few things Ogeron was actually, you know, because I think for the most part in today's presser, Ogeron tried to actually like, you know, I don't know, try to find some positives, try to talk about the freshmen, stuff like that. Today he was like, I'm really disappointed we didn't get any pressure on Jones at all. And, and he's also really frustrated with those offsides, which, by the way, those were, again, they're small in the grand scheme, but in the moment, those were actually pretty big. Some of those third down offsides. No, they, they will. They to me, to me, they're, 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 well, it was big in the moment, right? Absolutely. On the first drive, especially. But to happen three times is indicative of all the problems with the team. It's bad discipline. It's bad coaching. It's bad execution. It's it's bad everything. Pre-snap penalties are the most unforgivable of penalties in in uh, coaches' brains because they are the most preventable. And it's the old, like, fool me once. All right, that's cool. But two times, three times, there's just no excuse. Absolutely. And... So I want to ask you about the offensive play calling now in two different ways. Yeah. Okay, because first off, there is a part of me that left this game the most impressed with the offense in some ways that it had been all year. 
And I know it sounds almost silly in a game where they average only 4.9 yards per play and all that. But those first three drives, especially that first drive, the game planning seemed way more creative. They got a lot smarter with just kind of – I mean, honestly, they almost seemed like they went back to the, the very simple but important principle of Joe Brady last year, which is just like get playmakers in space. Just get him. That's like that's yeah. all it was about. And they got away from that for a while, especially when Finley took over. But even with Brennan, it was more like – you know, passing across the middle and into these tight spots and all these things or, or deep shots. And it's like that first drive, they got really creative with play actions, getting the ball to Eric Gilbert in the flat, getting the ball to Kayshawn Butte on a sideline, getting it to, you know, that one play where Kayshawn Butte lined up at running back and then did play action. They hit him in the flat for a first down. They just seem more creative and in tune and, and put the ball in those at, like really talented, by the way, you know, young guys' hands and just let them do stuff. And that, and even that, that, that failed uh, play action where they could have hit. Trey Bradford on a on a on a yeah, wheel route. Yeah, he, you hung, know? he hung that ball a little bit, but that was yeah. Uh, he's nice a freshman, play. whatever. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, they seem like they might have landed on something, and I'm really interested to see if that continues these next two weeks. But then on the other hand, you also and by the way, I actually think that Butte touchdown was re- well, it wasn't his touchdown. Funny enough, but you know what I mean. That was yeah. also a really good play to yeah. where. They, they, you know, it was obviously it was an Alabama corner blitz, which might have bailed it out a little bit, but still, they but lured the safety linebacker. Finley, yeah. They, they lured, a, they lured the corner, the linebacker in safety with the running back out in the flat, and then Butte acted like he was cutting inside, but actually was going upfield. It was a really nice play, and it was really well done. So they did some things. I'm like, all right, maybe, but they also had some some foolish errors. We could talk about the fourth and short. We can talk about, you know, going away from Emory, which I think at that point it wasn't to change the game, but still. So I'm curious where you come away with you know, Steve Ensminger and the offensive staff from this game. Um, I, okay. So it's, it's weird, right? Because two I didn't prepare you ago, that I was asking. No, no, I love that. I, I, I don't want to be prepared. I want to be hit with whatever, because I, I think that two years ago, any LSU fans would have all answered that you'd be ecstatic with the things that you are seeing now, right? When you're coming off of last year, <clears throat> obviously that really changes a lot of your perspective. Now, my expectations are not last year. My expectations, though, are that you will eventually change to to things that you know your current team can succeed on. And where my frustration comes in with this offense, and I don't think it's like a fireable frustration, but it is frustrating nonetheless, like is that they still do some very obstinate copy and paste things from last year that just do not work. I mean, I, I'm yeah. a broken record at this time. Why are they still doing the third and short zone run? Everybody in the country knows that it's coming. This team is not good enough to do it. And you've seen uh, TJ Finley up to this point be dominant on uh, QB sneaks. Why is there nothing in the game plan to just say, okay, and now if we get in third and short, we're going to hurry up and QB sneak. It's such a simple switch. It takes nothing to make that happen, and it will lead to more success. If you just look objectively what you've been good at or not this year, or at least this, if you're going to have the, if if you're going to be so stubborn and keep trying that play, at least have the courage to make it like a play action shot. Where like for once you just fake the zone run on third and one and you go for a shot. It's just, it's just wildly. So that's what, that's what, that's what gives me pause for the future and what concerns me about the offensive staff right now is with what they know and what they learned last year and how they and and, and how they coach quarterbacks and everything. Like 
they can be a good offense for a long time. You're, I, I, I would never think this offense will never look like the frustrating offenses of a couple of years past, right? Uh, but yeah. if they want to remain great, you have to be willing to innovate and evolve constantly. Jeff Duncan, who writes for The Athletic, just wrote a really good book about Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Um, and, and Nick Underhill's written very in-depth articles about this in the past that I've really enjoyed about Peyton's process. Peyton is constantly evolving. This, who else, I mean, who would better rest on their laurels than Sean Payton? Probably the best, you know, arguably the best offensive mind of the kind of modern NFL era. One of the best for sure. Uh, he could rest on his laurels. He could say, oh, we're number one, we're this or that. But no, he's always evolving, always changing. And I just don't see that evolution out of LSU's offense. And frustratingly, I don't see any, uh, well, not any. That's not true. Because you are you, you have made these narrow game plans that I think have actually done a pretty good job of giving these freshman parameters within which to work. But even within those narrow parameters, there's like very obvious things that you're doing that are not working that you continue to do. And so that frustrates me. I also think that uh, I remember how last week we asked the question, is A&M manipulating LSU's pr- uh, yeah. protection, getting them to slide one way and then bringing them in the other direction? I don't know what LSU's tell is, but I do feel more confident now that they are indeed being manipulated. Yeah, because so, Alabama did the exact same thing. The walk up six kind of move everybody around, uh, get 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 uh, LSU to slide and then uh, bring in the safety from the other direction untouched. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24 seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. First off, yeah, absolutely. We can get to the defense in a second if you'd like. But I want to go back to your first thing with everything you're saying about the offensive staff and the play calling and all that stuff. And it's almost happened exactly how I thought it would in that I I think the scheme still exists from 2019. I think the foundational principles are still there and still working. I mean, I think we saw it when Brendan was healthy. So I don't think like 
losing Brady is why this offense took a hit. Well, the and like the freshman hit. quarterbacks have played way better than LSU quarterbacks used to play. Like yeah, LSU exactly. freshman yeah. quarterbacks in old offense would have been utterly <laughs> terrible. Exactly. So, if, like, if Brandon was still there, by the way, I think LSU would have a top 25 offense. So this is not a torch LSU's coach thing. But it, it's happened almost exactly how I thought. And that people kept asking, like, What's going to happen with Brady going? How's that going to hurt? All these things. And I kind of said, okay, the main people are still there and the scheme is still there. So I still think they'll be fine. But what I kept saying was the margins will change. You know, it's it's the it's the marginal differences and that the, what Joe Brady brought in the sense of like in the moment he knows to do this and not this. And it's not just scheme. It's not just literal play calling. It's it's, for example, a small thing. It's such a small thing, but it goes to what you're saying that, that Joe Brady kind of brought over. And it, it sounds so dumb, but like the, the Saints were in the best in the league at this and the Patriots and some others of like when you're in a fourth and one, you just immediately go hurry up. You don't waste a second and you go up and you QB sneak. And that was something yeah. that I ha- LSU didn't used to do. And then the second, the, the first LSU game, I remember Jeff Duncan turning to me and saying this. It's like, yep, that's a Brady thing brought over from the Saints. And they did Joe Burrow QB sneaks on fourth and one immediately in some these situations and it's stuff like that or it's like you're saying about constantly evolving and all the the, and you know it's not just having your foundationals but it's being able to zig when others zag and all that kind of stuff that's where they're missing brady it's brady was the sharpest guy in the room always evolving always thinking they do this where am i going he was the puzzle master as i used to put it and and like that is what they're missing and that steve ensminger and scott linehan know things about offense i think the scheme is perfectly fine they can move the ball. I just think you're missing it in the margins. You're missing that 50-50 situation, which coach is going to win that battle. That's where there's a, a drop-off without Joe Brady. And that's and, and the reason I bring all this up and the reason I asked you this is because we talk about Ogeron's press conference, and I'm not one to make too much of things like this. But I actually had like three messages from people that I like really respect even noticing this too and that – Oh, kind of threw Steve under the bus a little bit a few times in that presser. The the fourth down QB sneaky through he was pretty much yeah. he without, without saying it criticized him. And then I followed up with almost like a bailout question to be like, hey, like obviously you lost Brennan. You have two freshman quarterbacks. You know, does that change how you do judge the the offensive staff because they did get put in this situation? And by the way, that was a, ch- a opportunity for him to just be like. Yeah, you know, you're like, yes, you know, they were going to put in a tough situation, all this stuff. And he strangely answered that question with, you know, we'll evaluate the offensive staff at the end of the season. And that was strange to me that that was not what I was asking. Maybe that was just he just didn't hear it right. And that's fine. But that was weird. And then the John Emery question kind of threw him under the bus one more time about why John Emery didn't get the ball more. So there does seem to be like a, I mean, I think Owen Ensminger are always going to be good. Like they are. But I, you know, we all have heard the things about like going back to like 2018, Steve Ensminger has been like, I'm retiring, you know, and like there's always been buzz that Steve's ready to retire and kind of hang it up and hand it over. And O always has talked him out of it. That's the word I've always heard. I don't know if you've heard the same, that O's always been yeah. like, no, you're not going anywhere. And I almost wonder now, like, is this actually going to be the time that he not nudge him, but lets him go? I, I just don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think on the offensive evaluation question, I think, um, I mean, I, 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 well, whatever, I'll say this. I, I think that one other moment where it was kind of an interesting shot where somebody asked about Linehan on third down and third and short, and he was like, well, no, uh, that's Insminger who is still calling third and short. Yep. Still, I don't know. My feeling on Linehan is kind of like, what do you do around here? Like, uh, <laughs> which I guess is just kind of passing court to begin with when it's not some kind of wunderkin that's just stealing headlines. But like, yeah, I just don't know what Linehan has added 
to this offense, really. Um, and now I'm getting concerned. Can I, jump, can I throw something in there? Yeah. And it's that I remember I did like a, I did like remember like a big profile on Jerry Sullivan when he retired, and we had like this like three hour interview. You know, off the record, I asked him some things about Steve and like the offense and stuff like that. And I and I don't, I think Jerry Sullivan is somewhat a self preservation self preserving person, so I'm not going to take this by by heart and all that. But he, I asked him something, and he said. I would give Steve all this stuff all the time to try to get downfield more, try to do some stuff to open things up. And Steve was pretty conservative and just timid to do some of those things. I don't, I, and then mm-hmm. obviously, and, the, but, and that goes against everything we've always heard about Steve. So I kind of, I'm like, all right, maybe. And then we all, we all saw what happened the next year once Joe Brady came on board and how open, like how obviously incredible that offense was. So I'm like, I don't know about what Jerry said, but now I'm at a point where I'm like, maybe there was something to what Jerry Sullivan said, but you know, maybe See, I, I gets thrown around unfairly. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I agree because I don't I, either. Jerry Sullivan was the passing game coordinator and his fingerprints are pretty obvious over the passing game that year in terms of like old football ideas, right? Like Absolutely. we're going to yep. hold guys in protection to, to let these routes develop, um, design a play to get to one receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Now what scares me, Brody, I talked about the offensive line breaking down and we can go into their breakdown more specifically because ultimately they remain the, the weather vane that will show you which direction this team is going. Uh, but what concerns me is I'm starting to see those heavy seven-man protections pop up more and more, and they are just as ineffective as they were two years ago. Yep. I mean, I highlighted at least one time on Twitter where LSU held seven blockers in, Bama rushes five, and they have a free rusher. And and, and, and unfortunately, that's not the exception. That's kind of like the rule at this point. So you're again starting to fall into that trap of double damning the quarterback where you take away options and you're still – not accomplishing the thing you're trying to by taking away those options, which is protecting him. Um, But let's talk about protection because like I said, I think that I don't know what it is, but I mean, the tape is out on LSU. They know how to influence you to slide. And then they're just going to come from the opposite direction. LSU's ability right now to deal with these kind of muddled six men on the line. We're going to bring it from a bunch of different directions is really poor. And every team will continue to attack them on third and long like that until they can prove that they won't allow a free rusher every time. Yeah. I, I honestly have, have nothing to add there. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so, my- so here's, here's what I'd say. Here's the, the, the rhythm that the offensive line hit. And it was kind of interesting Saturday because it wasn't, it actually started good. And then yeah, it just the first drives, I was surprisingly impressed. It yeah. got progressively worse, right? Um, it was almost like a methodical falling apart, which I'd never yep. really seen before, which is kind of interesting. Like at the beginning, they weren't really getting physically beat in pass protection. Now, off the jump, the third downs, they did struggle when they would walk up six, kind of like we talked about. So those were the first problems that were kind of seeded. Then there were other plays that started to prop up where it wasn't the scheme that was to blame the actual call was correct but somebody within that scheme didn't execute they got confused they go the wrong direction so now you have some bad scheme maybe or some manipulative scheme mixed with uh some missed assignments and then i i don't know if it was just frustration alabama smelling blood in the water but then you just started to get physically beat and then you're losing in all three phases of pass blocking and then all of a sudden the wheels just completely 
came off of uh, the offense. And then you saw LSU. That's when they started to call some of these max protections. And again, it did not work at all. So it was a uh, it was kind of a slow descent into madness for the O-line this game. Yes, um, I think you nailed that pretty well. And I, again, I'm not going to add much because you have way more insight on the offensive line. But I want to pivot to the future in a way. And also just because I think we don't we expect Florida to be the same. Pretty much, right? We expect them to lose that game by another 30 points. Non Newtonian fluid. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we'll see what happens with Ole Miss. I think that's just a, a literal toss. I think so LSU's offense should have more success against Florida, but, uh, 100%, but yeah, they're yeah. going to lose badly. Yeah. So I want to ask, like, sincerely how you feel about, we don't have to be literally about 2021, but just the future and what, where you go from here. Because, like we said, a lot of freshmen were playing. Pretty much the only positives right now are those younger players. And when you start you know, looking at breakdowns about what this roster is going to be and whatnot, and then you add in that you probably need some coaching staff changes and whatnot, how confident are you that you can get back to being a, a top 10 or 15 team next season or, or even a title contender in the next few years? I, I don't know about title contender next year. Uh, I mean, I think, year, I, I think you can easily get back in the top 15 next year. I so actually, I. I actually don't think that's crazy at all. I think, I think nine and three, ten wins of the bowl game is right back on the table if you solve the offensive line problem. But I can't give you that. That that's where it's going to get impossible, though, to say that that's going to be my expectation is because we won't know if the offensive line is fixed until the season starts. Right? Like, I, there's yeah. not going to be anything I'm going to see in spring or in fall camp that's going to convince me. Now, now maybe if it's just getting like some great buzz, and they're like, oh, you know, like Martinez is really coming along, or Doomerville, or whatever, and I think it's legitimate, then maybe you start to get excited. But like like we said, man, okay, let's get to some positives from this game. Uh, the opening drive was really something sexy. 18-year-old TJ Finley hitting Gilbert Butte against the Bama defense. Like, that's yep. exciting at that age. Um, now of course how it died wasn't exciting, but how about the 94 yard touchdown drive? Kind of the same sort of rhythm. I, I loved it. I mean, I can't say enough about Keishon Butte knowing that Terrace Marshall is gone. You're 18 year old. You have to step up and be the man. And, and he did it, uh, past catching, but you know, kind of, it's almost cliche to say this, but like my favorite play of the night from Keishon Butte was actually the block on the Ooh. John Emery touchdown run. Because yeah, that, that, I mean, that's that like nice. someone who's like doing every phase of the game, like doing that dirty work and it's playing hard even when you're getting your ass kicked. So like I liked what I saw. I loved what I saw out of Keishon Butte. And Butte reminds me a lot of Chase in the way that like Butte, as a freshman, what I mean by that is like in the sense that Chase was kind of freshman year, just like getting by on talent and all those kind of things. Like, But just didn't feel like cohesive, didn't feel very like – Ah, fluid. I don't know. It just didn't feel like, and that's exactly how I feel about Butte right now, where it's like, I know the talent's there. He's made some awesome plays this season. I can think of like five off, off the top of my head, but it just doesn't feel like he has like some of the fundamentals and little things down. So he feels like the definition of a guy who like, if he's built the right way, and I just don't know what his mentality is like. I've never met him, but seems a guy who should actually take like a, a huge I, leap. Of the I would say that this was a huge feather in his cap as far as mentality goes, because yeah. It was obvious, like, okay, Marshall's gone. You have to step up. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a young kid. And he did step up. 
And so, like, and then look, when it comes to quarterback, there's a lot I like about TJ Finley. Somebody was saying that TJ Finley has bad pocket presence and stands like a statue today. And I was, I was mind blown. That's his greatest trait. His ability to subtly avoid the rush while keeping his eyes downfield has actually been spectacular. Like, I, I love a lot of TJ Finley's game. I love a lot of Max Johnson's game. Uh, to me, they're interchangeable. Um, you want to start Johnson this weekend? Sure. I don't have enough emotion in that to give the Uh, argument. I think you should just because he's only played garbage time and that's not fair yeah, to him. Sure, uh, yeah. screw it, dude. Like I'm with you, man. Switch it yeah. up. Like it doesn't but even not, matter. That's not a dig on Finley. Yeah, continue. Yeah. Sorry. So no, so my point is they're they're equal in my mind, those two. They're both really promising and way better than I thought freshmen would do on these stages. Uh yeah. so you combine the fact that I love Boutea, I love Gilbert, I really like Emory and TDP. You, I, I like Miles Brennan. I like these two freshman quarterbacks. You're going to add more talent to that quarterback room. Like whoever emerges next year, I think you can at least feel confident that they're going to be really good. But while you're so you seemingly have the potential to be transcendent in the skill positions, but ultimately it's up to the offensive line as to whether or not you can take advantage of those skill positions. And right now, Looking at the roster next year, what we've seen of those guys and the current recruiting class and really just, you know, like current recruiting class is what it is, but still relying on true freshmen for your line's a bad idea generally anyway. I was going to say, yeah. Um, yeah, because everywhere else in the field, like, yeah, I think safeties can come in as freshmen and play. I think corners obviously can. You know, like a lot of that, well, there's a lot of reason to be excited about 2021. But like you said, the O-line's the big thing that's obviously needs to get fixed. And first off, they only have one commit right now. So that's problematic, even though he's a really good one. But two, yeah, you're not expecting a freshman to come in and do anything differently. So your hope has to be in like your Marlon Martinez, your Marcus Dumervilles. It's all up to them. It's like such a massive offseason for those young cats. Anthony Bradford, all of them. And I haven't really heard like many positive or negative things, I should say, but like no real buzz about them either way this whole season. And granted, you you can probably confirm this offensive line is probably the number one position next to quarterback that probably makes a huge leap with your first full offseason. Would you agree with that? So I yeah, I mean, look, I think it's for the same reasons that um, like you said, it's really hard to step in immediately and play. Yes, especially in this situation, they're going to be getting a lot of pa- uh, practice reps. Yeah, you'll you'll get way better year one to year two because it's it's tricky, right? Okay, so let's just go. I want to really quickly just go through what the off- offensive line of future is because, okay, Dare Rosenthal, Cam Meyer, I think both of them have been the definition of fine to below average this season, but yeah. hopefully that you know they're going to be fourth year guys next year. Hopefully they take a step forward or one of those retro fresh those retro. I mean, I would feel good about those two being fourth year seniors starting with another year development under their belt. I I think they could actually be good. Not great, but good. I think it's a given you lose at Ingram. And so now you just then there you go. And obviously then you've which is interesting because like I I agree with you. It's a given. And it kind of felt like that's probably who Ogeron was talking about today when he said that some people are dead set on going. Yeah. Uh, So then. But like what is Ingram's actual draft status? What's that? What do you think Ed Ingram's like NFL draft prospect status is right now? Well, I know our day in Brugler over the athletic and he was really high on him. Okay. And. And like he kind of saw, and this was, you know, very, I think either the beginning of the season or right before it, he saw him as like the number five guard. And that was with very little tape. So he thought that if anything, he would rise up. So, I mean, I think Ed Ingram could be a second round guy, but who knows? Maybe the tape this year is like so. Well, yeah, if he's second round, go ahead and do your thing. Go ahead and go. Okay. So Ed Ingram's gone. 
So, okay, then you have Chase and Hines, who's been a major problem, but maybe he takes a step forward. But otherwise, you're relying on – you literally are relying on re- either redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores next year because, you know, maybe you're hoping Martinez can take a big leap. They love Xavier Hill, so maybe he takes a big leap next year. I think, you know, as much I know they've been Is looking Dumerville at Dumerville a tackle would be a potential guy to enter the mix. I mean, if nothing else, he's going to have to be your backup for. Wait, who's this? Uh, Dumerville, right? And he's going to yeah, have yeah, to be sorry, your yeah. backup for Cam Wire and Dare Rosenthal. No, exactly. And then Charles Turner is a guy they love. So maybe Charles Turner can actually be a guard if he puts his you know whole mind on it. But it, and they, they've taught, I've heard a lot of things about them wanting to go for grad transfers in the O line. And I know Liam Shanahan's been pretty fine, but I, I, I think history says. O-line is probably the worst position to look for grad transfers because if they're not, you know, there's usually a reason they're on the grad transfer market, unlike some other positions. And I don't think there's much history of those guys being great. So mm. I don't know about that. So I, yeah, I, Juco is generally a better route to grab O-linemen. Definitely. Definitely. And maybe they do. So I, I, I just, it's funny because I think you and I both this off season talk so much about how we didn't think the O-line like first team was going to be amazing in 2020, but we thought the depth was finally going to put in a position where it's better than ever. We actually, I think we both actually believed that and we were pretty wrong. You know, they have no depth right now. And, and the guys that you thought were going to be the next stars, you know, and, and Cardell Thomas and Anthony Bradford, which by the way, you shouldn't write them off, but they clearly just fell down. You know, their trust level fell. And it's like, wow, all of a sudden, I actually went from like, wow, the offensive line is set for a very long time in the future to like, I don't know, man. I don't see it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we'd have to check the whole that podcast tape. Maybe our listeners you know. I, I feel, I thought in my mind, I thought we had the opposite that we thought the starting line was pretty good, but that it was a pretty tenuous situation. Uh, um, in March, like, I thought, because like, not who, in were July. The, who were the backups? No, like, in March, I thought the the future was really great. By uh, July, I think we were on that side. So, um, but look, the point being, though, it's a weird spot where. You can get back to being good. So so that's one thing that that has me hesitant to say they'll be really good again next year, Brody. Probably the biggest thing offensively, definitely. And then defensively, it's just the coaching situation. I mean, what do you do? What do you do? On a weekend where Indiana wins without their starting (laughs) quarterback, with the youngest coordinator combination in the country, Brody. Kane Womack, bring him to LSU. Are you glad that you've... Uh, by accident, started this Kane Womack to LSU. That's like a real thing now. I, I I'm honestly, I think my main win here is that our show might actually be like doing well because I'm, there's like a decent amount of people who mentions like, hey man, you talked me into Kane Womack. And I'm like, all right, geez. That was like a 57th minute of the show, like half joke. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. But no I, so I, I mean, I so don't... like the coaching thing, like, like what, like I just. I, I'm guessing you have to move on from Pliny at this point. I, I mean, I don't know how you make an objective argument to stay. Now, I did read that uh, LSU athletic revenues uh, supposed to lose eighty million this year. And so. by the way, I've I've heard some people it's actually worse than that. Well, that's horrible. Um, yeah, I've heard it's way worse. And so, if the economics are the economics are, you got to ride with them. But that could be the albatross that like ends up killing you. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I mean, I always have to clarify this. and I know you know this, but there is a difference between like what the school is losing and what boosters will put up to fire somebody because they're too they're not. It's not. I always say it's not yes. like a, a pro sports salary cap where you have X amount of money in your program to spend on a coach like or whatever. You know, it's it's, you know, like what else he's losing from its overall revenue and all these things is different from the eight million a booster might put up. But still, yeah, yeah it's, 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 like way, South, it's South be, Carolina has like some mega booster that basically is the one who got Will Muschamp out of there. Exactly. Yeah. Can you and imagine having so like much money that you're like, I'll pay this guy seven million dollars not to work? That's how much he's pissing me off. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you have that's that much money, you, the only things you could spend it on are things that like will actually bring you joy. And yes, yeah, so like making okay, that's really good spin. I never considered that. So there's yeah, somebody, like, somebody yeah, like out if you there actually just, can make your program great again, then yeah, like screw it. So you also could probably write a lot like, of that off. It's probably worth me paying Will Muschamp fifteen million dollars to go get Shane Beamer, right? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Now you re- <laughs> oh, now it now it does sound terrible. Okay, yeah. Shit. Uh, hey, who knows, man? I've learned with the yeah, dude, my look, number I, I made fun of Drinkwitz and look at Drinkwitz now. He's just dropping his nuts all over the SEC. Oh, I think I thought Drinkwitz was good because he was a play caller. At least we knew like what he was. I have learned though in the last three years specifically, and even the last decade has taught us this. Do not make rash decisions on the hires that weren't coordinators. Because we have literally you are talking out of your ass yeah. if you pretend to really know anything about like who this guy will like be. Who Shane Beamer? Like, like Shane, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, point. you watching a lot of Shane Beamer tape of how he recruits. Like what are you talking about? Or, like a lot about how he interacts with players. Like uh, you have, you don't know. You have no idea. It's same thing with Ed Ogeron. It's the same. Well, granted, we at least don't miss you know history on him. But same thing with Dabo. Same thing with Sam Pittman this year. Same thing with a lot of guys you're seeing in the recent years. Uh, Cristobal comes to mind. You know, actually that's one of the better ones. But yeah, like you just don't know. You're talking out of your behind if you pretend to know what Shane Beamer is going to be like. Do it I, do is I just funny. It is funny, no. right? It is funny to pay $15 million and then you roll out in front of your fan base like, Shane Beamer! <laughs> what? <laughs> It's not great. He doesn't um, even go yeah. here. Um, <laughs> I guess it's actually return home for him. So good on him. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you feel like like if Polini stays, what do you think that means long term? If Polini stays, you are going to reach a, a strange level of apathy that you don't want. And, and not even with the team itself, but with the like just fan base boosters all those things yeah. i think that's the fear it, it's, it's a good point it's not it's not a, a direct parallel but it has it's similar to the cam cameron thing you know where it's just like wow and i don't think it would be fair because i think it would be for financial reasons if they don't let him go but it's just like it's like well why can't you just like admit you got this wrong you know i think i think it'd be really really tough for this fan base to go around another year into 2021 with with that as your DC. And, and even with, I don't know, I think there's even a lot of people that are getting apathetic with, you know, Ensminger's the OC and stuff like that. And by the way, I don't want to sound like I'm on that train. I think I've been like the Ensminger defender for three full seasons now, but I think you're just at a point where you need some just, because the talent's going to be there going forward. It is, you have, you're going to have three top five classes on your roster next year. It's, 
it's there needs to be some wholesale changes in the staff and just how they, and how they do things culturally. There needs to be changes. so okay. So now you hit on the other key, Brody, and it is the key to me, and it wraps up everything else in there, which is they have to be willing to engage in ruthless and brutal self examination and make tough decisions and. I'm not saying it's easy because it's horrible and it's hard and I shy away from it a lot of times, right? If you think about really looking at your work and trying to be brutally honest with yourself. Now, obviously you're a writer, you have an editor, and so you kind of live in that space a lot of times. But it's 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 a very hard thing to do and they have to be willing to do that. And the example I keep going back to is how the New Orleans Saints turned things around about five years ago where Sean Payton talked about we are about to enter an intense period of self-evaluation and we are going to get this right. And they made some really tough uh, uh, decisions in terms of letting people go. But uh, LSU needs to ask very serious questions about their hiring process. Why is Mm -hmm. it missing more than it's hitting? And what can you do to fix it? And, and, and again, they need to ask the, the, the question, the alcoholics question. I know I've talked about it before. My sister's old boyfriend, this nugget just has stuck with me and will stick with me for the rest of my life. When he was an alcoholic and he told me, look, when I got my life right, I had to stop asking, why is this happening to me? And I had to start asking, what did I do for this to, to, to make this happen to me? Right. And even when that sounds unfair, even when you, you still have to try to, you have to approach it from that mindset and be brutally honest. So I don't want to hear about, oh, this player sucks or, oh, this player's so in discord in the locker room or like this or this. Those yep. are excuses. And if you continue to engage with excuses, you will never get it fixed. So that's the main thing is can they take a good, honest look currently at their staff and where they're at and what needs to change? And then once you get into that hiring process, even more importantly, how can you fix a hiring process that had just had a, has, has a bad track record for the most part? No. Yeah. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you're saying. I think the, the hiring thing, I mean, as much, it's funny how a year ago we were praising Ojean for his hiring abilities, but when you look at it from a, what he's probably made like 10 like real hire hires i think since he's been here probably in that range and three have been great i don't know yeah you well know, no last year it was more 50 50 so it was 50 50 but with transcendently good ones right yes. and like someone like canada wasn't horrible on the field it was more of like a massive relief so like there was reason to give them the benefit of the doubt and 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 i think we did or maybe there wasn't like whatever in my mind in my opinion there was reason to give them the benefit of the doubt. That is out the window now uh, with this most recent batch of hires. Yeah, so I think they need to learn how to, I mean, we always say at Ojan's greatest strength historically, and I mean this, is that he listens, that he changes, that he can adapt and reinvent himself. And he needs to really do that. And the question is, one, is he ready to? Because I don't think we know the answer to that. Because, I mean, I think like any of us, we're all pretty prideful. And as much as we say we're good at changing, like it's hard to, you know, you did just win a championship. And it's probably going to be hard to be like, well, I just won a championship. Am I really to have that many problems? I don't know. No, I, that's what's I think fascinating of, though, right? He's built his entire comeback on that very idea. So like, I know, he, he but, has but to things can change. Things I just watched before. Citizen Kane yesterday, man. People change. <laughs> and I've never seen Citizen Kane. Great movie. I mean, yeah, it's hot. hot. Yeah, real, hot real, real hill of die on. <laughs> Citizen Kane's good. Uh, but yeah, I, I think 
he really it's it's a tough thing and i think lsu sometimes a lot of people in that building are very much like you're saying the kind of people who are like look what's happening to me look what happened here oh this is you know the pandemic hit and and like you said the character guys they're messing with our locker room they they do that and they love doing it and they push it to reporters really really strongly and the fact that they're still doing that doesn't leave me much optimism that no. they are willing to do that. But I agree. I agree. And it, and it, and it worries me. Like, and I've told some yeah. of them that people that I've talked to, like you have to acknowledge the reality of the situation. Um, who knows? Guess what? The locker room issues are not, that is not without fault of their own. They did a lot. Yeah, exactly. Also beyond that, uh, LSU's staff is a bit like Congress. It's like all old white guys. Like they're, they're average. Somebody brought this up in the chat the other day. I think LSU's like average staff age might be like 53 or something. Oh yeah, no, it's an old staff. And I, I think mean, they were saying that Alabama's like 42 or something. And then again, you have Indiana out here flexing with these like 30 year olds who make me feel bad about my life because of how successful they are at their same age. It's just, it seems no, it's a. It, it's very so odd thing. because it's completely at odds with the home run hires that you made. That that's what that's that's where it kind of gets a bit head scratching. I don't think either of us are like, oh, gotta go youth for youth's sake. No, it's situational. Hire the best guy. Like we're not that naive, but it is. There is a real trend here, and ends being. I would put speak. an emphasis on youth. I, it's not the only metric, but I would yeah. like. You know, if it was a scale thinking, you know, like it doesn't have to be youth. It just, okay, your OC is 63, I believe, or 62. Your head coach, I mean, first, I'm not, your head coach is also that age, you know, and then your DC's hit his peak in 2007. And, and then your, your offense, well, I think your offensive line coach is pretty good overall and he's relatively young. Kevin Falk is somebody you want to keep on that staff for a while. I mean, Mickey Joseph. I think people connect with him and I'm not but we all know Mickey Joseph also like isn't the guy anyone's really like going to as like the receivers coach. You know, yeah. he is a guy who oversees receivers, but his thing is recruiting New Orleans. So yeah. I don't even you your passing game coordinator needs to also be your receiver expert. That's just where they're at right now. And I guess that can change over time. Your defensive line coach is Bill Johnson, who is, you know, a very much older coach and 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 somebody who, yeah, just felt like a retread. Your linebacker coach is Pelini again. Your safety coach, Bill Bush, is somebody who I actually have spoken very highly of over time, but I think he's actually butting heads with a lot of players right now. And I almost wonder if, like, and I've just heard some negative things there, so I almost wonder, like, him without Aranda kind of, like, like Yeah, is he, is he like a, a man out to sea a little bit? A little bit, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, in obviously, Corey Raymond's somebody who – People are saying should be DC. I don't know if I believe that, and all. And obviously, he's a huge part of recruiting, a huge part of controlling that locker room and whatnot. But yeah, so I, I think there's my anyway. My point. Sorry, I really went a little out of touch there. But I think I only named like three coaches there who are like, yeah, those guys have to stay. Yeah, and I'm not saying fire everybody. I'm not that kind of person. I'm just saying you need to look. That's all. Also, it is like kind of funny because one of the death knells of a program is almost always when they fire everybody. Except for the head coach and try to get it right. So I maybe maybe they can. I don't know. Like didn't Tom Herman just like fire everybody last he year? Fired everybody last year. Except yeah. <laughs> <Jeff> for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I so look. I, I I'm a mixed bag when it comes to the future. Um, because like I said, there are real positives. But unfortunately, after this conversation, it probably feels like there's more obstacles to overcome. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, anything to say on Florida? <laughs> Honestly, no. And that's what made, that's why we almost <laughs> only spent like what, 10 to 15 minutes on the Bama game too. It's just because what is there to say? Those teams are just better. They, I, and I, I don't think LSU, I mean, yes, you, like you pointed out a lot of the mistakes they made and how the coaching staff was behind, but like, I don't think LSU like did anything that is why they lost that game. They, they were just worse. And it's just that yeah. simple in my opinion. That's so fair. I, I don't have that much to add. Yeah. Um, Terrible right. podcasting. Uh, no, I mean, but honest podcasting. That's what we're about, Brody. Honesty. Uh, I'm trying. I'm just. I'm just scanning my notes here and see if there's any angles or anything that I think we're talking about that I didn't bring up. Um, I'll say this: I've completely lost the thread on how to pronounce Eric Gilbert's name. Is it Eric? <laughs> Eric? Eric? Um, Same with Keyshawn Butte. There was Booty. a new Booty. one today. I just. I. I'm. I, I have no idea. I'm so in my head about it that now all three sound right, and I'm thinking, do I just start using them interchangeably? Yeah. Like, no, I, like, I get in like a weird thing when I'm on the like other. a TV or radio spot where I'm like Eric or Eric. Like I just build in <laughs> that I say both to like cover my bases, which is some true cowardice. But yeah, I. I, I, I do the same thing with Keyshawn Booty, where it's like, is it Booty or is it Butte? I don't know, and I admit I don't know. And then I. I. I it's actually you know. This has been a tough season for all of us, and I think that's the part that I'll look back on most. I agree. I agree. And uh, you know what? Shout out Jamie Erdahl. You did you get to watch the TV copy? I did. Yeah, was she when in the Brad cover, and like, Gary went seven down? Minutes. Yeah. yeah, color commentary is damn hard and awkward <laughs> to begin with, and much less when you're on the sideline with a horrible line of sight like those kind of sideline reporters have. So shout out Jamie. I thought she did a really good job in an incredibly awkward uh, situation. All right, and that's where we're in today. Hey, remember, you heard about it right before the show started. Uh, if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, you get two all abs- access, abscess, gross. You get two all access subscriptions for the price of one. Uh, so then you can give one to your friend as well, and that'll be really cool because they'll be like, dude, that's such a good Christmas gift. Thank you. So go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Go ahead and sign up. Uh, all right, Brody Miller, anything on the way out? I don't think so, man. Uh, who's your six and one, man? That's all. Six and one. Let's go, dude. And if Ohio State can't play this weekend, they'll no, they already to- changed the rule. They changed the rule, so oh, they're going to let them back in the championship. Wow. The things they do for Ohio State, man. Wow. Cowards. Oh, well. Windiana, still the best team. With the hey, youngest. now Windiana's still in play, though. And the hottest coordinators, Kane Womack. Where you at, dog? Uh, all right. This is all that podcast podcast. Uh, look, rate it, review it, share with your friends. All that stuff helps. And I'm T.Y. Baber. He is Brody Miller. Buy your meat today, bear specialty meats. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.